I would invite you to open up your scriptures this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 21, page 1075, the Gospel of John, chapter 21, page 1075. So we come to the last, the last section of John, and next Sunday I will preach a, a uh, recap sermon where I'll just kind of address and try to, to summarize the whole book and the main message, but today we come to the last text in the book. I kind of feel sad about this. John's been amazing. There have been... Uh, two times in my pastoral ministry when I've sat down across the table for an extended conversation with um, another pastor who had recently left the ministry because of marital infidelity. Those are very difficult conversations to have. Um, They're very sobering. And one of the, uh, the things that strikes you as you listen to those conversations and you, you listen to the stories is you realize that we are all far more capable of sin and of all kinds of sin than we would really like to admit. The other question that comes up in those conversations, whether it's spoken audibly or whether it's just kind of rattling around in your head, is as you're talking to someone who has served the Lord, who has been used by the Lord and is now, you know, on the sidelines, um, the next question you wonder is, could that person ever be a pastor again? Is it possible to be restored theoretically under the right circumstances Or is somebody kind of disqualified for life? I don't think this is just a question for people who are in sort of vocational ministry. I think that's a question for Christians. Because every Christian is a servant of the Lord. Every true follower of Jesus Christ is a minister for Christ. If you're a a follower of Christ, you're called to do the Lord's will. You're called to surrender your life to his purposes. You've been given gifts and talents and abilities to be used, both inside the church and outside the church, all kinds of places. So, so I think it's also a question for all of us as Christians. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's some of us here who have had some major blowouts in our lives morally. And uh, I mean, we sin all the time, but maybe some that really come to mind and and I wonder if there's some of us here who feel kind of permanently disqualified from being used by God in the future. Like, I, I, it was too much, you know, and we're haunted. We're haunted by guilt of things that we have done. And we think, you know, I know that God loves me still, and I know I'm still on the team, and I got the jersey on, but I'm on the bench, and I'll never be in the game because I'm, you know, permanently injured. I, I can't be back in the game. I, I couldn't serve the Lord. The Lord wouldn't use me that way. Well, today we come to the last section in John, and it is a remarkable story. It's a famous story where Jesus has a conversation with somebody who blew it big time. He talks to Peter. 
the disciple who publicly denied him. Look at John chapter 21, verse 15. Let me read this story. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because John asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus' supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is a really powerful story of Jesus' conversation with Peter there after his resurrection, there by the Sea of Galilee, there after the miraculous catch of fish that we studied last Sunday. And it may be a helpful way to just kind of think of this story and organize it is to think of it in terms of the past present and the future, just as a way of sort of uh, remembering this story. There's, there's the past that led up to this event. There's the present. There's the story in the conversation with Jesus and Peter. And then there's the future where Jesus speaks about the future for Peter. And this might be a way of just kind of keeping the details straight in our minds. And so here's Jesus, and, and he uh, talks to Peter, and there's something about the past here. You know, Jesus comes to Peter and he says three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Right? And you think, why is Jesus asking him that three times? Well, you probably realize, and I'm sure it became very apparent to Peter why this was being asked three times. And it's because Peter had denied him three times. So, So there's something from the past here that's being rehashed. Remember, Peter had denied the Lord three times. Just uh, let's go back and, and read that story just to remember what happened. Go back to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. This is during the Last Supper, and Jesus had been talking about leaving, and they didn't know what he was talking about. So in John 13, 36... 
Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter is always just kind of shooting off his mouth. I'll die for you. Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I'll tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. I even wonder if, if, that's, if, if that's sort of what's being alluded to back in John 21, where Jesus says, do you love me more than these? You know, who are the these? It's a little bit enigmatic. I, I think he's talking about the other disciples. Do you love me more than the other disciples? Do? Or, you know, do you still think you're the one who loves me the most, who will lay down your life for me? And now we, we then, you know, here is a kind of a, a braggadocious Peter, and back then as a more humbled and later is a humbled Peter. But anyway, the point is, three times you're going to deny me. And that's, in fact, what happened. Look at John chapter 18. Let's, let's just take a minute to remember the gory details of this moral failure. John chapter 18, verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl asked the door, at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Now jump down to verse 25. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So three times, Jesus says, you are going to deny me three times. Three times he does it. And now three times, Jesus asks him, do you love me? And, and you know, I, I just think we have to take a minute and really take in the magnitude of what Peter has done here. This was a disaster, you know. This was a total denial of his Lord. This was, this was a Benedict Arnold moment for Peter. It's not like he just kind of slipped up or, or someone was talking about God and he just kind of kept his mouth shut and he, he sort of missed a witnessing opportunity or something. He, he betrayed the Lord. This is like, you know, this is like the businessman on the trip at the hotel going to the bar and taking off his wedding ring. You know, this is denial. This is disassociation. I mean, could you imagine if um, one of your pastors... Um, was, I don't know, I was trying to think of an analogy, like interviewed on, I don't know, local cable access, and they were interviewing local people or something, and, and so you're like, oh, my pastor's on TV. So you watch the, the interview, and, and you know, the, during the interview, the, the interviewer throws a curveball, as, you know, interviewers like to do sometimes. Imagine the interviewer saying, now, your church isn't one of those churches that believes that Jesus is the only way to go to heaven, is it? And then you're thinking, all right, softball pitch, pastor. Share the gospel. And suddenly the pastor on the thing says, well, 
I wouldn't want to. No, I'm not judgmental. I mean, we, we, we're open to lots of people, and, and, and so we don't want to judge. It, and, and I don't know. And then the interviewer says, wait, 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 wait a minute. So you're saying that, that you don't believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved? And imagine your pastor saying, well, you know, I mean, I, I, Jesus is my Savior, but, but I wouldn't be so bold as to judge others. And, to, and, and then the interviewer says, now, wait a minute, let me ask you a third time. Um, you know, I think it says on your church website that, that your church believes this. Do you not believe that? And, and imagine the pastor, you know, finally just kind of punting and saying, you know, I, I, I really don't want to talk about it. You know, you'd go, he denied, he, did, he had an opportunity to deny, uh, to confess Christ, and he failed it. Except what Peter did was even worse. It's not just that Peter was kind of, you know, beating around the bush or something. He was saying categorically, I don't know him. I'm not with him. I mean, this was huge denial. You know, what do you do with someone like that, right? You know, three denials. I, I mean, baseball three strikes, you're out. <laughs> he should be out. This was a huge controversy in the early church. Uh, in the third century AD, there was a group of Christians known as the Novatians. And in the fourth and fifth century, there was another group of Christians known as the Donatists. And, and the Novatians and the Donatists, they're two different groups, but they had something in common. They both didn't think that Christians who had recanted their faith under persecution should be allowed back into the church. So during those early years, Christians would occasionally go through periods of persecutions. Um, it was a bad persecution under uh, Decius, another bad one under Diocletian. And so then these Christians would be you know, faced with death or torture or um, confiscation of property unless they recanted their faith in Christ. And some of them would recant their faith in Christ. And then later on, some of these Christians would come back to the church and say, I was wrong, I've denied the Lord, I repent, forgive me, take me back. And the Novatians and the, and the Donatists said, that's it, you're out, you can't come back. And I kind of get it a little bit. It's like, really, if you're going to deny the Lord publicly three times, how could you possibly come back in. This was a huge moral failure. And it seems to be disqualifying. And so that's why Jesus comes to Peter and three times asks him, because there had been a threefold denial of the Lord. But what does Peter, what does Jesus ask Peter as we go from the past to the present, as we go from what happened to the present story, going back to John 21. What about the present? Jesus comes to Peter, and what does he ask him three times? Do you love me? That's a powerful question. The more I ruminated on that question, do you love me, the more it affected me. Do you love me? You know? I think that question tells us a lot. It tells us at least two things. I think the question tells us something about ourselves, and the question tells us something about Jesus. The question reveals something about ourselves. It's like a mirror 
that, that shows us something about ourselves that maybe we don't want to see. But that question also acts as a spotlight. It shines onto Jesus and shows us something about Jesus that we need to see. So what does it tell us about ourselves? I think that question, do you love me, it, it tells us that when we sin, we are sinning against Jesus. That all sin is interpersonal in nature. That, that sin isn't just kind of breaking the rules or messing up or kind of stubbing your toe. When I'm, when I'm disobeying God, it's personal. It's interpersonal. I, I'm sinning against the Father. I'm disobeying Jesus. I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. It's not just kind of abstract sin, like, oh, I made a mistake, you know. Well, at least I didn't hurt anybody. No, you hurt the Lord because it's all interpersonal. It's all sin against him, and so it's more serious than you and I think. I think we tend to downplay it, but Jesus is taking it very deep here, and he's saying, no, 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 this is against me. Do you love me, Peter? Do you still love me? All sin is a kind of um, uh, spiritual infidelity. Every sin is a kind of spiritual adultery where we love something more than Jesus. Isn't it interesting that Jesus reframes this whole discussion of Peter's moral failure in terms of love? Who do you love, Peter? Right? In other words, we often think about the action or behavioral level I did this, I didn't do that, I said this, I shouldn't have said that, I had this attitude, I should have had another attitude. But Jesus wants to take us deeper, and he says, it's really about what, who you love and what you love. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. So when I love Jesus, I keep his commands. But when I love something else, when I have another lover, then I'll do something different. And, and that love can be anything else. It could be the love of, you know, comfort. It can be the love of pleasure. It can be the desire for affirmation. It, it, it can be love of, um, you know, my career. It can be love of people respecting me. It can be love of, of all kinds of things, food and drink and relationships. But whatever it is, when I love it, I'll do it. When I love it, I'll obey it. When I love it, I'll become it. And, and so really the, the question is, what do you love? And you know, if you want to live a holy Christian life, the answer isn't to load yourself up with, with more and tighter rules. That won't make you live a Christ, holy Christian life. The way to live a holy Christian life is to love Jesus more. And when you love him more, you'll want to obey him more because it's love that fuels that. Think about the last time you, you felt like you really blew it and disobeyed God. You said something that was cruel or you did something you regret or you didn't do something you should have done or you, you, your mind was filled up with things that it shouldn't have been filled up with. Think about one of those moments and just go down a layer and ask yourself, what was motivating that sin? What was I in love with? What was I loving more than Jesus? If Jesus were to walk with you on Nantasket Beach today, what would he be asking you about? What would he be asking me about? What, 
What is it that's rivaling in your soul and my soul a love for Christ? For Peter in that moment, it was, uh, I suppose it would be love for, I don't know, his own life. (laughs) He didn't want to die. He loved his own skin more than he loved Jesus, and so he denied Jesus three times. But, but what would it be for you? What, what is it that we love more than Christ? You know, the, the way to obedience is to make that song we just sang kind of like our heart cry, all I have is Christ, and to love Christ more than anything else. And so I think this, this question, do you love me, it tells us a lot about ourselves. It tells us that, that our sin is worse than we thought, that it is, is interpersonal. It is a rejection of Christ. But I think it also tells us something else. I think this question not only tells us something about us, it tells us something about Jesus. It's not only a mirror that we have to look into uncomfortably and painfully, but it's also a spotlight that shines up on the Lord, and it shows us something about Jesus. What does this question, do you love me, tell us about Jesus? I think it tells us about his amazing, amazing grace. This, this passage is humbling. It shows us that sin is uglier than I ever imagined, but it also shows us that Jesus is more gracious than I could have ever imagined. I mean, he comes to Peter, you know, and, and there they are. They're together again, and they're, you know, walking, maybe they're walking on the beach, I don't know. And, and he looks at Peter, and he asks him three times, but what does he ask him? He says, do you love me? You know, think of all the different questions Jesus could have asked Peter. Why'd you do it? What were you thinking? Do you promise never to screw up again? could have legitimately asked any of those questions. Those are all fair questions. But instead he just says, do you love me? You know, it's, it's, it's as much an invitation as a question. It, it's as much a, a, an olive branch as it is an interrogation. Do you love me? You know, that Jesus would frame it in love, that, that, he, that he's bringing it up, that he has found Peter, and he's initiating the conversation. That's our Lord. We, we get lost, we wander away, and then we get, we get stuck, in, stuck in hopelessness and God could never use me and I'm damaged goods. And Jesus comes to us and he finds us and he says, do you love me? You know, and you go, I do. <laughs> that's the amazing thing too. Uh, and that's also a sign of grace, the fact that we still love him. You know, I mean, haven't you ever had that experience where you've failed the Lord, you've disobeyed Him, and yet you still love Him? That's such a weird contradiction. But I think it's a contradiction that points to the reality of God's grace. The fact that I would sin against the Lord, and yet there would still be love in my heart for Him. That, That underneath all of the ashes and charred remains of the consequences of what I I have said or done, underneath it all, you brush away the ashes and there are still red coals of love for Christ. How did those red coals stay there? It's his grace. And the fact that that I can answer, I do love you, Lord, despite all this. I still love you. That is an evidence that God is at work in your heart. You know, how do you know if you're really a Christian? How do you know if you're a true Christian? Is, Is it by living a morally impeccable life? The Christians never fail and blow it. 
I mean, of course not. Even Peter was going to blow it again. You go to the book of Galatians. He denies the Lord again in a little bit more subtle way, but he denies the gospel. He, he, uh, he betrays the gospel later on in Galatians. So Peter is not done messing up. Peter is not done being a failure. It'll happen again. So it's like, well, what, makes, what marks a Christian then? If Christians still stumble in sin, what, how do you know if you're really a Christian, especially in those moments where you fall flat on your face again? And I think this is one answer. There's still love for Christ. You know? You, you can make yourself keep rules or not keep rules to a certain degree, but you can't make yourself love Christ. That's a work of grace in your heart. That's how you know you're really a Christian, not just that you're trying to be a good person or you want to, you know, live a decent life. A Christian is someone who loves the Lord Jesus. And and if you look in your soul and you see that the pilot light of love for Christ as Savior and as Lord and worshiping Him is still on, even if the whole furnace isn't burning bright like it should be, that pilot light is still there. And you're like, I can't believe it. Despite all my efforts to mess it up, the pilot light's still on. He must love me. His grace must be real. It must, I must really be born again because his grace is stronger than my disobedience. And so Peter can say, Lord, you know I love you. Right? And the grace of Jesus in the answer, three times what's the answer Jesus gives? Verse 15, feed my lambs. Verse 16, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, feed my sheep. And so not only does Jesus love him and ask a loving question, and not only is love found within Peter, but also Jesus then reinstates him. And he's like, look, you're still an apostle. I mean, at this point, Peter could have been fired. But he says, look, you're still an apostle. I called you to be an apostle. You're still an apostle. You're going to be an apostle. You're going to feed my sheep just like the other apostles. He is, he's restored to ministry. He's restored to, to his work that Christ had called him to. It's amazing, the the grace of God restoring this man. Restoration really is possible. Now, it may take a process. I I, I don't want to sort of be guilty up here of of teaching a kind of cheap grace where it's like, well, as long as you say you love Jesus, no big deal. There's a process, right? Peter had to go through a little bit of a process here. It's not like Jesus just saw him over the, the campfire and looked at him and went, you, Peter? Don't worry about it. No biggie. No, no. Do you love me? Do you love me? There's a process that takes place. Restoration can take some time. Of those two pastors that I have interacted with uh, more in depth, one of them actually is back in pastoral ministry. Uh, it took some time, like almost two years, of a very intentional, structured process of restoration and soul-searching and what's going on down deep that's driving that and what's going on with your marriage. And he had to get his marriage, you know, straight so that he could serve the Lord. And he, but, so there was a lot of reconstruction that had to take place. But he did it, and by God's grace, he's, he's serving the Lord again, you know? And so I think, yes, there's a process, but restoration really is possible. And, and, it, and if you don't see the grace in this story because of all that, step back and realize who is it that's talking to Peter. It's 
the risen Jesus. In other words, this whole conversation is in the context of the resurrection. Jesus had died for Peter. Jesus has been buried for Peter. Jesus has been raised for Peter. And now Jesus is talking to Peter. So the whole context is grace and mercy. Peter is talking to the guy who died to forgive him. And so ultimately, the, the whole Christian experience, even our wrestling with sin, is cradled by the cross. It's cradled by God's grace for us. And that grace just keeps coming like waves at the beach. And just when you think, God's got to be tired of me by now. It's God, God, you really, how patient are you? And it's like the beach. It's like asking, well, when are the waves going to stop coming? They just keep coming. God's grace just keeps coming for those that he loves. It's amazing. But there's also something, and I'll just quickly close with this, about the future in this passage. So there's the past. Peter blew it royally. He should be fired. He should be rejected. But then there's the present where Jesus extends love and mercy and forgiveness to this guy. But then let's not forget the future. When Jesus restores us, when Jesus forgives us and makes us his, what is he restoring us What is he making us for? He's restoring us for self-sacrificial service to him. He's restoring us back to the place where we now say again, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Look at what Jesus says about the future. Verse 18, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. The reason that Jesus restores us is so that we're now in a place where he can say to us again, follow me. Where? Wherever I tell you, that's where. And so for Peter, that meant to go have his arms stretched out. You see that phrase, when you're older, you will stretch out your hands? That's actually a figure of speech that was known in those days, and it was a reference to crucifixion. So it's like this, stretch out your hands. And it was a shorthand way of referring to someone who was being crucified. They were having their hands stretched out. So do you guys get that? Jesus is saying to Peter, when you're old, you're going to be crucified, literally. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. So so this, you know, so I'm like putting this all together. This conversation is happening in the early 30s AD based upon our best ability to reconstruct the chronology here. And we learn from church history that most likely Peter died in the 60s A.D. under the the persecution of Emperor Nero. So for 30 years, this guy lives and ministers with the knowledge that he will die by crucifixion. Think about that. He, He, like, lived under the shadow of the cross, His own, you know, not only the cross of Christ that saved him, but his own cross that he's going to. 
I mean, if you knew, would you like to know how you're going to die someday? If you could know that? I don't know if I'd want to know that. That's a tough question. Peter didn't get the choice. Look, Peter, I'm going to tell you how you're going to die. Crucifixion. Follow me. That's a tough one. Peter didn't take it too well. So Peter, verse 21, verse 20, turned and saw the other disciple. He sees John. Look what Peter says in verse 21. Lord, what about him? (laughs) Am I the only one who gets crucified? It's not fair. Like, why do I have to get crucified? Is this like you're still punishing me because I denied you? What about him? What's going to happen to him? I mean, is he going to get crucified? Jesus says, verse 22, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? It's none of your beeswax. As my kids would say, you follow me. I've restored you to follow where I say you go. I'm the Lord. That's where we got in trouble in the first place is you forgot I was the Lord and you stopped loving me. Now, now love me and follow me. And if I want you to be crucified and that's how you're going to glorify me, so be it. And if someone else is going to glorify me like John by living a long life, not living forever, John clears that little rumor up, but a long life, and if, and if I'm going to have John write the gospel, and if I'm going to have John glorify me by being imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos and receiving the revelation, that's, that's my business. I'm the Lord. And if I want this guy to do this, and if I want that woman to do that, they're going to follow me. And it's so easy to look at other Christians and, and become jealous or to play the comparative game. But this is the bottom line. We're restored for obedience to follow the Lord wherever he would have you go. And, and that sounds so cool in theory until sometimes we have to actually face where the Lord is taking us. And it's actually someplace we don't want to go. You know, some, some die for the faith. There have been people who have been called to, to be martyrs and to glorify God in their death. Do you ever wonder if one of us will have to die for our faith? I mean, we can't imagine that. But I suppose Peter might have had a hard time imagining that too. Some have to suffer for their faith. When I was at a conference a couple weeks ago, I, I was speaking with some international Christians different country, from different parts of the, the world, and, and I was sitting there talking to this young, sort of young, cute couple with a cute baby, probably like mid to late 20s from Iran, and then I, I found out that both of them had been, in, had been interrogated and tortured in an Iranian prison for their faith. And, you know, this, like, cute little couple that you, you just couldn't imagine it. I think, wow, you know, I almost just wanted to start washing their feet. <laughs> it's like, I'm not worthy to talk to you people. You've suffered for Christ. Some of us are, are called to different challenges. Christ says, follow me. Some of us are called to challenging marriages. We say, I want to follow you, Christ. And he's like, great. Love that woman. Love that man with everything you've got. Lord, do you know who they are? Because if if you knew them, you wouldn't be asking me to do that. No, love them. There's There's your calling. There's your ministry. Pour yourself out. 
Love your wife as Christ loved the church, self-sacrificially. Wives, love your husbands. Serve them, honor them, respect them. I can't respect my husband. Do you know him? Respect him, honor him. Oh, I don't want to go there. Follow me, follow me. Some of us are called to follow him in singleness. And we, we wonder, Lord, am I ever going to find a Christian spouse? What if God answered you and said, no? Would you still follow him? Would you still say, that stinks. I don't want to go there. But Lord, I love you more than anything. I will go. Maybe God is calling some of you to service in some way. Maybe he is calling you to be a missionary or or to be in ministry in some way. Maybe he's calling you to go and you don't want to go. Maybe he's calling you to stay and you wish you could go. Where is he calling you? Where are the difficult places? And he says, follow me. And oftentimes he tells us to go places we don't want to go. And we wonder why. Why me? Why like this? Why is this happening? And he just says, follow me. Follow me. And so we follow. We follow because we know that he loves us. And we love him. And at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Who do I love? Who loves me? Jesus loves me. I love him. And so I know that whatever he has for me is ultimately for his glory and for my happiness. And so I follow. I go where he tells me to go. And I follow Jesus who died. I follow Jesus who was buried. And praise God for all of us. We follow Jesus who has been raised. And that is our future. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we, we just confess that we still love you. We, we can't even believe it sometimes, given our track record. And yet there it is. We love you. And Lord, we know that we love you because you first loved us. We know that we love you because you've implanted an indestructible seed of love for Christ in our souls. And so, Lord, we pray that you would fan that love into full flame. Lord, I pray for anybody here who feels hopeless about being restored to serve you, that you would show them that your grace is greater than their sin and that there's more grace in you than there is sin in us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would restore And I don't know what that looks like for each person. I don't even know every story. But, Lord, you know. You see each one, and you know what the story is. And so, Lord, I pray for a process of restoration for all kinds of of people and humble hearts to receive that. And, Lord, I pray for all of us that we would love you so much that we would be willing to follow you wherever you say to go. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has never said, Jesus Christ, I want to follow you. I pray, Lord, that they would follow you today, that this would be a day where they would hear that call of follow me, and that they would just go, and they would confess their sin and receive your grace, and then go wherever you tell them to go and do whatever you tell them to do. Lord, I pray for all of us. Give us strength to obey you in all the circumstances of our life, whether you've called us to... um, to, to success or to struggle, whether you've called us to health or to chronic pain and disability, whether you've called us to marriage or to singleness, 
to parenting or to childlessness. Lord, whatever circumstances of life, help us to glorify you in everything that we do. Lord, we love you. And we ask this, Jesus, because we know that you can give us the strength to do it. And we pray this in your name. Amen.